Welcome to Awakenings Movement Podcast. Awakenings Movement is a community where dreamers become believers and believers become doers. Turn to Psalm 96. We're just going to get off into this, man. I'm telling you, like, dude. This is the 25th anniversary of the American Act for Disability, meaning it made it so that every disabled person, mentally or physically disabled, 25 years ago, beginning 25 years ago, would not be discriminated against uh, when being hired or anything, even from the way we design our websites to make it accessible for people who are blind. So in honor of that presidential policy, I'm going to engage in a study around what some call disabilities what others call blessings. Um, and I'm going to do it using a story from a podcast that I love on NPR that's called StoryCorps. Anybody ever listen to that? Listen. StoryCorps. StoryCorps. C-O-R-P-S. StoryCorps. If you don't download, if you listen to podcasts, if you don't download that podcast by the end of the day, you just may go to hell. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> You are damned to hell if you don't. You too, podcast listeners. Uh, you're just, I don't know. You just, there's, no, there's no sake in your soul. But I, I just want to like, I'm just joking. For those of you who are here for the first I'm just joking. My name is Marlon. How are you doing? Amy, nice to meet you. I was just joking. I was just joking. And I was just joking earlier when I told you to leave because you put your watermelon in, in the microwave. But you put your watermelon in the microwave. Psalm 96. What a nice dude. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dyslexic and I'm also dysmorphic. And uh, I wrote down the wrong scripture. It should be Psalm 69. Sorry. Turn to Psalm 69, not Psalm 96. Okay. Let's move forward. Um, save me, oh God, please. Uh, yeah, the first verse. Psalm 69. Is everybody there? Save me, O God, for the flood waters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water. Say deep water. water. And the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying from help. My throat is parched. Verse 3 speaks to the limitation of the speech, the disability of the, the speech because of turmoil. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. This particular verse speaks to the disability of the limitation of vision because of turmoil or tribulation. Then it says those, verse 4, here it is right here. Dude, this flipped the script for me. Oh, I can't wait to talk about this. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. That's a lot of hate, ain't it? Demanding that I give back what I did not steal. Have you ever been accosted by another person who treated you like you stole something and you didn't even take it, but you sensed in how they attacked you that they didn't even own it to begin? So they accused you of stealing what they did not even own? 
be it respect, be it love, be it pride. David, who wrote this psalm, is recognizing that he is being beat up, character assassinated, physically threatened by someone who says that he stole something that I believe the scriptures today will reveal that the people who were accusing him of doing that did not even own. Can I challenge you to do something else today? We read the Psalms, particularly the ones written by David, uh, as people who are on the defense and people who are always um, being hurt, criticized, like we're the, the innocent lamb. But can I challenge you to do this even in your scripture reading going forward as a mature person, to read the Psalm not as if you are the hero who's being oppressed, but what if you are the villain in the story? What if you are the one who's demanding from others what you won't own yourself? Read every psalm that way just once in a while, and you'll be like, ooh, I'm not the victim here. <laughs> I'm the villain. But there's hope, and that hope lies in the mission of Jesus, Jesus who died that we might truly live into who we most are as human beings. Join me for a word of prayer. God, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus for those moments in life when we feel like things are being taken from us, like respect or love or honor or valor, that we have not even taken ownership of as those who were accepted and formed before the earth. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge that there are people here in the room who have gone through things that no other person in the room has, has gone through. There are pains, hurts, moments of impossibility and fear and doubt and, and shame that some of us have, Lord God, that we will refuse to ever tell another being. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit will give us permission to bring those things that we've been hiding to bear today and to use them not as disabilities that limit our possibility, but as benefits to turning the crap of the past into the fertilizer in the present that flowers our future. God, we love you. God, we bless you. God, we give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do me a favor. Um, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And though I am very, very, very tempted to talk about what's happening um, in culture right now, particularly around um, what's happening in Prayer View. I mean, you know I want to get on it. I'm not. God will. God will. Second Corinthians chapter 4. How about we, yeah, let's begin with verse 1. Anybody want to begin reading? Since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. Stop right there. What? Just because. You could just stop right there. We just. <laughs> the doors of the church are open. <laughs> Come on, who wants to not stop? Keep going. No, I'm sorry. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. 
who want to see, for those who want to see, once who can see and judge for themselves yes. in the presence of God. Yes, yes. If so, our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these other people who are looking are going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. Well, keep going. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want and that and that they won't have to bother believing a truth they can't see. They're stone blind to the day spring brightness of the message that, sign, that shines with Christ. Who gives us the best picture of God will God will ever get? They're stone blind to the day spring the day spring brightness of the message that shines with Christ. Who gives us the best picture of God will ever get? Let me let me read the that was beautiful. That's that Eugene Peterson, huh? That boy be doing it. The message is a beautiful interpretation. May I read verse 7 from the New Living Translation? And most of us, many of us, may be familiar with this one. It says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from God ourselves you have an infinite capacity for value that will never lose its value I know cars lose their value as soon as they get off the what houses lose value too you know what I mean watches lose value everything created by man loses value but man created by God will never lose its core value If you own your value, it is impossible for someone to take it. Value is the only thing known to man that cannot be stolen from one man or woman or child by the next. Your value is intimately woven, locked into your humanity so deeply that no other human being can most times even see it according to the scripture because it's in clay vessels, right? It's so deeply embedded into the fabric of what God made that nine times out of ten, even the person who values you the most does not see the complete value of you most. Even the one who, like, drinks your bath water over ice <laughs> with an olive hanging off the side. You know what I'm saying? And then every sip, they just say, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Even... The bathwater drinking person still does not know the full measure of the value that God has in you. So certainly the person who does not care about you at all, don't care about your humanity, whether you turn, put your signal on it, no, no. So stop beating people like they stole the value you never took the ownership of. Why do we do that? Right? The first thing someone says that we think may communicate a lack of respect, oh, we go off. Not you, Skylar. You're perfect. Podcast listeners, I'm looking at a natural curly hair girl who's perfect. But guess what? The first thing someone says that may remind us of how someone demeaned our value in the past, we beat them like they what? Stole something. But nine times out of ten, you're most excited and all emotional because you have not taken ownership of what you are accusing them, incriminating them, 
jailing them for stealing. Stop and think about it. The person who is clear about their own value will never incriminate another person's humanity by fighting them for their value because they know that their value was not fought for but was given by grace. You have an unimpaired value, so create conditions for it. It is not that you deserve your value. It is that you were destined for it. If you can just stop and accept the reality that you can never earn enough merit, pedigree, or degree for the value that the infinite God has placed in you, you can't fight for your value, even if you wanted to. And the good news is, is that you don't have to because it was given to you by grace. Grace, favor, and unmerited favor. Most times we're so superstitious when great things happen to us simply because we refuse to accept that we are favored by God. And when good things happen, we sabotage those good things for fear that those good things will turn bad sooner than we want them to and we'll be disappointed. Why not when good things happen, just relish in good things like God is so good. I know I don't deserve this. This is my destiny given by God, given by grace, given through favor. So I'm going to favorably enjoy this while it's here. You know what I'm saying? Don't resist good things when they happen to you because good things don't always happen. And when they do, you accept them as a happening, not created by your own merit or by your own hard work, but that the infinite God has placed something inside of your life for you to enjoy. What we deserve is projected from our past. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. What we deserve is projected from our past, but what we are destined is drawn from God's future. You see, we think deserving, think, and mindsets. We have those mindsets simply because we are using our past as a source of reference for the job of being happy for the present. But how about your past references, good, bad, or indifferent, cannot prepare you for the grace that God has just for the present? In other words, you, there's nothing you've done in the past that can diminish the value of God's present purpose in your life. In fact, guess what? When you ask God to forgive you for the worst of the worst, the Bible says that God throws your sin into a sea of forgetfulness, meaning if a millisecond after you ask for forgiveness, you bring it up to God, he'd be like, now what happened again? I forgot. God is not like the human being. The human being is limited by, um, uh, by the laws of our understanding of nature. And the laws of our understanding of nature have, uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction is a concept of uh, physics, right? But God does not, is not bound by the concept of physics because God created the concept of physics. He's not bound in it. So when God, when you do something against your own self that you believe you've done, maybe against the will of God or maybe against another person, and you say for every action, I know that there's an equal and opposite reaction that I'm going to be reacting to for the rest of my life. God says, I'm not a part of the laws of your conceptual physics because I'm not your concept. I'm the creator of the cosmos. So guess what, dude, man? Skip that. Live in the present and enjoy the beauty of this moment. Don't let how anybody else incriminated you keep you from the unmerited favor of God.
I was talking to my man here last week. What we all did, and, and he, he shared. How did you describe your experience that you, that you went, you were what? The Texas hotels. That he served time at the Texas hotels. <laughs> I said to myself, well, even when I first met him, I was like, Some, I like this dude. But when he said publicly that he served time at the Texas hotels, in that moment, I recognized that he, has, he had the healthiest self-esteem in the building. That he could understand that what he did in the time that he served at the Texas hotels of the past did not limit or contain the possibility of the present. He had the keen ability to let go of the past so that he can hug the present. And he said what he said with a smile. Then that boy walked in here with this shirt today. I said, man, God, that boy's so bad. <laughs> Your understanding of what you deserve is drawn from the past, but God is not limited by your understanding of time because he's eternity. So God is the past, he's the present, he's the future, and guess what? He's even beyond all that. When God has a destiny for you, that destiny is like an arrow that shoots from God's preferred future directly into your heart, and God is steadily pulling you into his preferred future. The enemy would have you believe, though, that past failures and mistakes are hooks rooted in the past that are pulling you back into the past so that every decision that you make in the present or into the future is somehow affected by a decision that you've made in the past. Why not embrace the arrow that God is using to draw into your preferred future and let the hooks of the past go? Projected pasts are the shadows of fear that get in the way of and, read this word with me, Amen. the light of God's grace. In other words, like this um, pillar right here is impairing the light of the sun that's coming into the room. And the impairment of this particular pillar projects like a shadow. These pains are impairing the light that's coming in through the glass, and those pains are creating these shadows. We allow the past decisions to get in the way of the light of God's preferred present and future for our lives. So in fact, the things that loom over our lives, like the fears and the doubts and all of those things from the past, don't got nothing to do with what God is doing in the present because his light is not shining on you from the past, friends. Like if light is projected, if we were in a dark room and the only light in the room was projected behind me, there would be a huge shadow in the shape of me cast it forward because that light is what? But the light of God's grace is not behind you because remember God is like 360 degrees, eternity, the past, future, past, present, and the future, the light of God shines from above. So there are no shadows when it comes to the concept of God's love in your life. He ain't putting no shade on you. We must create, though, the value conditions that will not impair the light of God's grace because you know the ones who put the obstructions to God's light in the way of God's light? Who does it? We do. Do we do it intentionally? Do we say, you know what? We wake up in the morning and say, you know what? First thing I'm going to do is put a, a watermelon in a microwave. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not yeah. This boy, like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> I'm not. Put a watermelon in a microwave. You know, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to cast all measure of shadow from the past 
onto the present of my life and it's going to be a horrible day. Let's do it, you know? <laughs> like what happens is by, um, by lack of intention, we create the conditions that are shady in our lives. But you have to create the conditions that bring about light. Man, I like that ringtone. That bring about light. You have to create the conditions that bring about your own value. Young ladies, right, in the room. Society will tell you that there are twists, contortions, and turns that you have to do to be valuable based on physically how you look. But the light of God shines from above, and you are already illuminated by the one who created you. So whether someone around you sees you as beautiful or not does not matter. What matters most is that you own the value that God has for you at all times, but you have to create the conditions. And so today we're going to talk about that. And in the spirit of the presidential policy that was made to keep disabled people from being um, prejudged based on their disability, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to limit my own faculty as a communicator. And forgive this if this sounds crazy. So, sorry. And what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to use, again, this podcast. And because I'm mentioning the name of the podcast and also inviting you guys to either go to hell or <laughs> to download it, you may not sue me, okay? You may not sue Please don't sue me. StoryCorps travels all over the country, and they have these booths that they set up in different parts of the city. And uh, what they do is they make it so that people can come and can tell their stories. And so they harvest all of these thousands of stories, and they decide which three stories each podcast they're going to cut down into like three to four-minute segments um, of these stories, y'all. I have not listened to one of these podcasts and not cried. Y'all aren't surprised because I'm a crier, but I'm saying still. <laughs> my, my wife back there like, I mean, so you cry watching Mulan. Then <laughs> I do, but um, this is one of the podcasts, and uh, I was listening to it the other day, and I was like, man, what would happen if we all took what we thought disabled our destiny, and we did not allow it to limit our destiny. Like, what would happen if, like, if I were to declare, to declare in the room today, like, a new act, like an axe act, right, that makes it so that you in the room would never allow anything that you think limits your ability. It may be a mental disability, in other words, not just a mental disability. I'm talking about the way we think about ourselves, meaning we tell bad stories about ourselves. That's a mental disability. It may be an emotional disability. I've been hurt in the past, and you no longer want to project the pain from the past into the present and into the future. Whatever disability it may be, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, what if I were today to spend the next 15 minutes inviting you guys to explore that I am giving you a new act? By virtue of the authority of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, particularly verse 7, to know that there is a value in you that cannot be impaired. If I were to give you that act today, would you sign it? Yes, yes or no? Yes. Would you accept it as your own? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. 
Well, close your eyes. I'm going to be playing three stories. Oh. I'm so happy y'all closed your eyes right then. I promise, dude, we just had this room professionally cleaned yesterday. Don't be impaired, Marlon. Close your eyes. While the stories are being played, I want you to physically impair yourself just to make yourself sensitive to impairment. Again, the value that God has placed in you cannot be impaired by the past. The best thing you could do is own God's grace in the present and move into God's destiny into the future. But you got to create the conditions for your own value to get the shade out the way. So close and shade your eyes tightly as you listen to the story of a man who is physically impaired by his legs, but who's magic. system went haywire and so I have bones in places where I shouldn't have bones and then there are places that I should have bones that I don't. How was it for you when you were a child? I grew up in a very small rural town and uh, people were ashamed that their next door neighbor was a disabled child so it was very difficult. One day when I was 13 we were told that there would be a new teacher where I went to school and uh, me and a couple of other guys were standing outside the school waiting to see what this new teacher looked like. This guy pulls up on a Harley wearing a black leather jacket. Well, I thought he was cool right then and there. He got off the motorcycle and proceeded to show us card tricks and coin tricks, and I was hooked. His name was uh, Grove Norwood, and uh, I owe everything to him. He uh, became principal of the school, they would come over the intercom almost daily. Ricky Boone, please report to the principal's office. And he would come outside of his office, and the other kids thought I was always in trouble. Even the secretary thought I was in trouble. He would say, get in here, and close the door. And he'd say, Ricky, let me show you this. And then he'd show me a new card trick or a coin trick. He said, uh, go find a book, learn a new trick. When you can fool me, we'll trade. Then I started reading every book that I could get my hands on. Well... Later on, when I graduated from college, he tracked me down, and he was having a Christmas party, and he said, uh, come and perform. So I went and did their Christmas party, and his mother came up to me after, and she said, you know, he does little magic, but nothing like what you've just done, and that made me feel really, really good. I've been a professional magician now for 36 years, and uh, people, they do judge a book by its cover. People see me as someone to pity, and so it takes a lot to get past that initial shock. But uh, if I can make that person laugh their butt off, then they have no time to feel sorry for me, and they forget that I'm in a chair. What do you consider your greatest accomplishment? That I'm still here. (laughs) I accidentally set my head on fire in front of thousands of people, and I lived through that. I was supposed to have died 10 years ago, and when I didn't die, the doctor said, well, there's no way you can continue to perform. 
And I've done more shows in the last 10 years than I did in the previous 10. If you have a willingness to live and you feel like that you have a purpose for living, I feel like you can. His name is Ricky Boone. And uh, like he said, he is a professional magician. He also owns a magic shop that is extremely uh, successful in North Carolina. He was being interviewed by a friend of his, and he did not allow what some thought was an impairment to his destiny to shade God's purpose for his life. That's what I want, want you to ask yourself. What did Ricky do to create conditions to own his own value? Because even though other people did not see his value, now the principal saw his value. What a cool principal, right? <laughs> to roll up in a Harley, you know what I mean? Well, first teacher, then principal. That person owned his value. But what did either the principal or Ricky do to create conditions first to own his value, then to turn that value into a career? I'm going to impair myself as a... All right, I see your natural hair. I'm going to impair myself as a as a truth communicator. One of the things I love to do is to like shape points around scripture through what's happening in culture and put them on PowerPoint screens and make everybody read them and then people take pictures of them and put them on Instagram. But I'm going to impair myself today because I can't spell, number one. And number two, I'm going to impair myself because you are gonna create the point that communicates the condition that we must create to own our own value, okay? So first thing that we must do is our first things that we must do are come on give me some things what, what did ricky do believe. he believed is that right what's another one he said what oh oh what else Open. Unrestricted. Mm. He mastered his thoughts, right? Mm. You could tell, because probably some people bring him on thinking that they're going to laugh at him because of his impairment, but he's so good that they end up laughing with him, right? The will to live. Okay. Okay, y'all preaching too hard now. Okay. And I love it. Praise God. What a blessing to be in the room with people who are profusely wise. God bless you. Y'all are killer. The first things that we can do to create the conditions when we feel like our movement is impaired, what do I mean by that? Some of us feel that we are not mobile vocationally, like we're not growing up the corporate ladder like we want to be, you know, like we're stuck in a dead-end job, like we're not doing what we want to do, we said we would not be here for another year and here we are again, like we feel like our limited potential in our profession limits God's destiny in our lives. When you feel like you are immobile, like your movement is limited, right? First thing that you need to do is what? Believe. Hallelujah, I made that up myself. Second thing you need to do is what? Follow. 
If there are directions that lead you out into a new opportunity, you need to follow directions. Fill out the application to go to college to get your master's degree so you can move on and get what's next. You need to always be what? be open to the possibility of what is or what isn't around you. And openness brings about a sense of being unrich. Don't use how people limit you to limit your own capacity. And one way that you can do that is to always be the person who can master your own what? Ooh, y'all preaching right now. Then you need to use your and when you use your strengths you'll be able to follow your your passion. Right? You know what your strength is. And you say, I'm going to do what I like. And doing what I like will lead me to the life that I'll like, right? You need to, oh, no, I, like, I like that last. You need to change your surroundings sometimes, too. You say, Marlon, but I, I, I'm immobile. How can I move? Like, there are moves that you can make outside of your vocation that can, that can involve your vocational movement. You can read something that can involve your next step in your life that you sometimes don't read because you're so disgusted and, 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 and depressed about where you are. I ain't about to read nothing about becoming a mechanical engineer. That ain't gonna never happen. What I'm doing looking stupid reading this book. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want each of you, those of you who are note takers, the first condition to creating conditions to own your own value, think of one of these things you know you need to do. Anybody here need to believe more? Anybody here need to be more open? So think of which one of these are yours, okay? Now, the next story is a story about a man who's over 80 years old, and this man did not use, did not allow how he was impaired in his hearing to keep him from listening to how he could make a difference in the world. But close your eyes and hear this man's story. Now, you know, I was about to say, I was like, you know, so impair your hearing, and no, but you can't hear the story, right? <laughs> My name is Robert Panara. I just became 89 years old, but I became deaf from spinal meningitis at the age of 10. My father knew how much I loved baseball, and Babe Ruth was my hero, and this is 1931. So he wrote to the Yankees, and he asked if I could possibly meet the Bambino, and they arranged it. So we went to the ball game that day. We sat about 10 rows from the field, and before the game, my father gives a letter from the Yankees to the usher. Usher goes down to the dugout, comes back with the babe. Big fellow, huge. He says, hi, kid. How you doing? Shaking hands with the bambino with a dream come true. And later on, I realized my father, he was trying to get my hearing back. So your father thought that the shock of meeting Oh, him? yes, the bambino, wow. <laughs> But I still remained as deaf as a post. <laughs> and I remember later on taking my son to Memorial Stadium. After the game, my son says, Hey, Dad, I have a ball. I would like one of the players to sign it. 
Brooks Robertson, the third baseman, came out and I said, Brooks, excuse me, but my son wonders if you can give him an autograph. Brooks, he looks at me and then he signs with his hands, are you deaf? I said, hey, you know sign language. Where did you learn? He said, well, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, only box from the school for the deaf. So I used to play with the deaf kids. He became my idol after that. Anyway, to this day, I live, breathe, and die baseball. I look at it as my religion. The stadium, it's my second home. <laughs> Bob, uh, you can't tell because he's, you, you think that Bob is the kind of dude who just sits in the stadium and he's like, has no job. He's just like, you know, Bob loves baseball. But Bob was the first deaf person to get, dang, why am I getting a He was the first deaf person to get a master's in literature from NYU. He went on to teach um, and to start several foundations uh, for those who were physically impaired, particularly those who were hearing impaired, but whose capacity was not um, limited. They were limitless in their capacity, right? He died in 2014. What did Bob do to create conditions to own his own value? One thing Amy said is that she's, she, she can only imagine because this story was, was a little different. We later learned, of course, that he has a master's degree in literature and that he went on to be a lecturer as a deaf person, right? But one thing that Amy said is, it seems like there was someone he intersected with who gave him like energy. So finding people, positive people to intersect with consistently, okay? Anybody else? He said he what? He did not give up. Oh yeah. He said he was still as deaf as a a post. <laughs> he gave himself purpose. Hmm. Always intersect with positive people. Do not give up. Has a, have a sense of humor, right? Know your purpose. Know your strength, right? What's another one? Last one. Oh, legacy. He was legacy-minded. You said confident? Yeah, I was thinking about that, like, this boy had to be confident to walk up to, like, big-time strangers, confident. Thank you so much. Okay, so pull from one of these as the point, the second point, or the second condition that you must create when you feel like you are not hearing what you need to hear from people around you to say what you need to say to push you forward. Oh, I'm telling you right now, if you wait for people to own your value with their words, you will go value broke. If you wait for people to enrich your life with the literary contribution of their words on your will, you will grow weak and weary. You need not let what you don't hear around you limit what you must say 
to you about how positive you are, about your ability to not give up, about ha, 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 how much you can laugh at yourself, about your own purpose, about your own strength, about your own legacy, about your own definition of confidence. Don't let what you don't hear limit what you do say to yourself about God's purpose in your life. And lastly, oh, ah. What I want you to do for this story is to, uh, and again, these stories, if you're not used to the way that the folks are speaking, may be difficult, but I want you to kind of pull back into a listening mode and don't listen for familiarity. Just listen to these people as human beings, okay, um, who have something to say to this next person. Uh, the next person is mentally disabled, and, uh, and this is a conversation between he and, uh, and his mother. Uh, his mom was interviewing him. You don't have to close your eyes. In fact, if you want to just look, look around, that's cool too. This one's just so, anyway, sorry. My name is Joshua Myers, the lovely son to my lovely mom. Mom, how do I look? What is your disability? I have um, Down syndrome, and I consider it a gift. But at first, I thought it was a curse. A curse? Yeah. You told me once that it's just too much, but I didn't know how overwhelmed you were until they called and told me that you had gone and stood out in a busy intersection in the road. I just want to kill myself. A lady stopped from me. So she had you come in the car and talk? Yeah. And have we seen her since? No. First of all, I'm just so grateful to that person I don't know who took that time with you. When you're a parent, the most important thing is that you be happy. And when you're not happy, it's just so frightening that I can't make that okay for you. How is your life now? Awesome. What's good about it? Everything. I love my life. Did you have dreams for your future when you were young? The dreams I have were really vivid. Varied, uh-huh. Vivid. Oh, vivid. Yeah. What kinds of things did you think of doing? Some sexual things, mm. but I don't really want to get into that. I'm not thinking just dreams at night, but things that you wanted to become. There's a lot of things I wanted to be back then, but there's only two things now. What's that? One of them is to be a minister. Mm -hmm. The other is wrestling in WWE <laughs> to make my family proud from that. Do you think your family is proud of you? I know they are. I love my mom so much. I'll even die for her. But I don't want you to die for no, me. No, no, no. I want you to live for me. Me and my mom has this everlasting love. And that's what you particularly taught me, is how to love. And everyone is who they are and who they're meant to be. Do you remember what we usually say to each other? You're my Josh. And then you say... You're my mom. You're my Josh. You're my mom. He's your God. You are his child. 
He's your God. You are his child. And with truth and with confidence, you can say, I'm yours. It could take a lifetime for you to describe how and why God loves you the way that he does. But more importantly, as we close, you are accepted. You are formed before the foundations of the earth by the God who formed the foundations of the earth. If you don't accept your value, it can be one of the biggest travesties to all of human history. Don't believe that your value is tied to your past. Your past is a hook that comes from the past into the present to try to pull you back. God's preferred future is an arrow that shoots from the future directly into your heart, pulling you into his deeper, most meaningful purposes. Your destiny does not depend on any dark moment in the past. The past is so past you that from one millisecond to the next, you cannot hold on to it. So why try to hold it? Let it go. Own your own value. And my friends, when you are pulled over by the police for a traffic ticket, don't demand that people give you back what you think they're stealing when you probably haven't owned your own value to begin. You don't have to defend yourself from the police if you know that God has already created you as a beautiful, bountiful human being. The best thing for you to do if any authority is stepping upon you, trying to disrespect you, is to first own your respect. Follow their instructions. Get their badge number. Get their name. Because Danielle taught us, you're not going to win on the street. But you will win in court. If you are in authority and you are a police officer and you pull somebody over and they disrespect you, don't beat them like they stole what you did not take ownership of. Don't beat them for stealing your respect when you don't even respect yourself. Now, here's the truth. All of us have gotten pulled over by friends and family members, amen? And they try to write us tickets. And we try to fight the tickets that they write us on the street. You're not going to win on the street. Accept that you are accepted and that your destiny is rooted in your value and that your value is rooted in God, not the past. If you would like to sign the emancipation from your own lack of value and come to the altar and take ownership of your value today, never doubting it the same again. You may doubt it, but you won't doubt it the same again. If you would like to sign this new disability act that I'm giving you to know that no matter how people call you disabled, 
know how you feel disabled, you will not be limited by who you are. You will be limited less by who God is.